Welcome to In My Backyard, an open conversation about children and mental health. We all know a child who's struggling, whether that child tells us or not. In this podcast, we speak with experts on the many factors of emotional distress in children, how to address those factors, and how to create a community where all children can be healthy and happy. This podcast is made possible through generous donations from supporters and listeners like you. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Your host is Trisha Costales, CEO of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. I'm Trisha Costales, your host of In My Backyard. I'm a licensed clinical social worker and the chief executive officer of the Guidance Center, a nonprofit children's mental health agency serving 3,500 children and families every year. Today we're going to talk about something that strikes at the heart of most parents of school-aged children, namely how to keep schools safe for our students. According to the ACLU of Southern California, in the wake of the Columbine shooting, 9-11, and the 2008 recession, school districts in California made choices to cut mental health services in favor of more police. Data shows, however, that this increase in school police, a hardening of schools, has not created a greater security. A study from the University of Chicago found that 74% of parents of school-aged children believe schools are less safe today than they were in 1999. A 2019 New York Times report found no data that shows that police and schools lead to better emotional, educational, or safety outcomes. Dr. Jagdish Kubchandani from Ball University found no evidence that police on school campuses actually reduces gun violence, concluding that policymakers are spending money that is not effective in making our schools safe. According to Children Now, only half of ninth grade students in California report having even one supportive adult relationship on campus, meaning the rest are left with no adult to turn to for help at school. Los Angeles Unified School District presents an interesting case study on this topic. Dr. Eliani Edwards et al. from UCLA found that LAUSD increased campus police spending by 48% from 2010 to 2019, despite an 18% decrease in student enrollment. During that same time period, on-campus critical incidents, including suicidal threats, increased by an appalling 906%. The district is now taking steps to replace police funding with greater mental health supports. Without mental health resources at hand, teachers are compelled to request help from law enforcement, who themselves are put in this position without adequate mental health training. Police are trained to respond to conflict with detention and arrest. Reports show that 25% of school police have no prior experience with youth. They have limited training on emotional and social well-being or how to de-escalate a crisis. Schools with campus police report 3.5 times more arrests than schools without police, most often for low-level incidents that could have been handled differently if mental health supports had been available. 
Our police are being asked to take on tasks outside of their skill set, while our children are being criminalized. By contrast, researchers at the Black Male Institute at UCLA Graduate School of Education found that redirecting police funding to mental health might be the most effective way to address a surge in student problem behaviors and other incidents on school campuses linked to rising poverty and childhood trauma. This position is supported by EdSource, where they write, schools that employ more school-based mental health providers see improved attendance rates, lower rates of suspension and other disciplinary incidents, improved academic performance and career preparation, and improved graduation rates. Data shows that school staff who provide health and mental health services to our children not only improve health outcomes, but also improve school safety. As summed up by Linda Darling Hammond, president of the California State Board of Education, the best way to make schools safer is further investments in social emotional learning and alternatives to discipline. Today we have the great fortune of speaking with Jackie Ochoa and Yesenia Arevalo, school resources clinicians from the Guidance Center who work in partnership with Campus Police for the Long Beach Unified School District in a pilot program. In the wake of the murder of George Floyd by Minneapolis police officers, the Guidance Center formed an external diversity, equity, and inclusion task force. The goal of the task force was to find avenues to influence the world to better support our Black, Indigenous, and people of color community members through public policy, education, or programming. The notion of defunding the police has been discussed nationally after Mr. Floyd's murder, but is not without controversy. As our task force engaged in the discussion, the idea of actually partnering our mental health expertise with local police departments was born. After meeting with the Long Beach Unified School District and their campus police department, the district reallocated some limited police department funding away from officers to be used to hire two guidance center clinicians in their stead. The outcome is the creation of two school resource teams that respond to behavioral and mental health crises on school campuses, instead of police whose presence is reserved for when it is truly needed. In other words, utilize the right resource at the right time. Welcome, Jackie and Yesenia. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have the honor of knowing you, of course, through our shared role at the Guidance Center. But for our listeners, would you please introduce yourselves? Yes, of course. Um, my name is Jacqueline. I, I do go by Jackie. I'm an associate marriage and family therapist. I've been with the Guidance Center, I think I started October 2019, so pre-pandemic. And um, I earned my master's degree at Cal State Fullerton and a little bit about myself or one of the things I'm, I'm really passionate about in this field is, is uh, identifying acculturational patterns within families and, and helping bridge that communication and also advocacy. And I'm really excited to be here too. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yesenia? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Asenia Arevalo, and I'm an associate clinical social worker. I've been with the Guidance Center for two years now. I started right before the pandemic, <laughs> um, 
and we've been here ever since. Um, I got my master's degree at University of Southern California. Ah, me too. And I think, yes, there you go, go Trojans. (laughs) Um, And a passion for me, I think, has always just been advocating for the less unfortunate or people, you know, just not knowing their rights, um, not knowing options that they have. So I think just being that... um, informing peace has always been very important for me and the work that I do with my clients and the families that I've worked with in the past. Um, and just also teaching them, you know, being able to speak for themselves and not being intimidated with these bigger systems that they're working with. So the empowerment role really matters yes. to you. Very nice. That's very social worky for sure. Yes. Um, so f- for for both of you, you know, your role, your new role, it's such an innovative one. And um, there aren't a lot of program models like this out there. And I know that you spent a lot of time at the outset working with the department and the district to really define what you do on campus. And I kind of, I think we should start there as well. If you could please just take a moment to describe the program and your role in it. Yeah. So this position came about from our external task force at the Guidance Center. This was a conversation that was brought up with, you know, what can we do to reframe and like redirect having police officers responding to mental health crisis right and that's where this idea came in of having a mental health worker coming in instead of a a safety officer or police officer um and so it was a conversation and here we are now it's in full um blown um you know, availability for all schools in the Long Beach Unified District and so you know the goal of the position when we talked about it was about avoid you know decreasing police presence and when the position was being developed, it was a lot of creating models and really highlighting what will our role be when we go into these schools, right? Really kind of creating that differentiation between MET, PMRT, and us, right? Because a lot of people at the beginning were like, oh, will you be replacing MET then? And it was really crucial for us to just say we're not. We're just an extra added resource for for the schools. And, and just for our listeners, what they are, MET is a model that a number of police departments have where they partner a uniformed armed police officer with a therapist to respond to mental health uh, crises in the community. Um, And PMRT, the psychiatric mobile response teams, they're teams that come out in a real emergency and evaluate if someone needs to be involuntarily uh, hospitalized. And so they write that hold. Yes, yes. Thank you for reminding me, Tricia, because we get into this lingo that we have and we just... (laughs) forgot. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was really important to just identify like the role that we would be having, um, how we would assist the schools and the role that we would play during crisis and post crisis, like after the crisis has been, you know, deescalated, how, how would we, what's the role that we play? Um, Jackie, I don't know if you yeah. want to jump into the models, because I know you were a big part yeah. of that since I started after of you. Of course. So I, I started back in December and you know, I, I previously was in the internal task force and I had heard that this, this conversation was being held, you know, in the external task force. And, uh, when I saw the position, I mean, it did sound a little bit intimidating, like crisis response, you know, 
Uh, and I felt that I was in a good pos position uh, professionally to move towards this new step and exciting new program. And so when I started, it was really just, this is what we want to do. Let's bring it from the ground up because it's a completely new initiative. And so I worked uh, very closely before Yesenia um, came on board with, uh, with the district. Uh, there was a consultant, a social work uh, consultant and uh, various roles within the, the district to identify, okay, what, what do we want this role to be? And instead of rolling out the program right away, as soon as um, we were onboarded, we decided to be intentional about the purpose of this role and really be mindful of the services that we were going to provide in order to have better outcomes. And so what we did is we conducted needs assessment with, uh, with school staff, specifically uh, principals, counselors, uh, nurses, psychologists, uh, which is normally their crisis team. And uh, we also felt that it was uh, would be helpful to conduct a needs assessment with the safety office officers to identify how we can provide further support, and also just to to identify uh, situations in which they felt a mental health worker would be more appropriate. And so, in in doing that, we developed a multi tiered system approach, uh, which the district tends to adopt with different areas uh, uh, within the schools. And so we developed three different tiers. Uh, tier three, which uh, uh, we, we identified as providing support to school staff, like district-wide training, uh, providing consultation on themes that might be coming up within the schools. Tier two, uh, we're focusing more on case-specific uh, and still with the ability to make an impact on multiple students. Uh, on that one too, provide further consultation on a specific case, uh, conceptualize uh, students. Um, Just so I understand, Jackie, that, okay. that tier, mm -hmm. might that be, are we talking about, for example, kids on campus that the school knows are perhaps troubled mm -hmm. and at risk of becoming yes. in crisis. So they're not there yes. yet, but exactly. they've been sort of pre-identified mm -hmm. and you're already mm -hmm. trying to provide supports yes. through consultation and mm -hmm. interaction. Do you get to interact with those kids too? Or is it mostly through consultation? So it's mostly the idea is consultation. There have been instances where uh, we've been called to respond to a consultation. Uh, and I do, well, we have had the opportunity to speak to the student. Uh, but in those cases, really the focus would be con uh, consulting with school staff so that they then can determine the appropriate services for the student, where they're more so on that tier as uh, as a consultant, and to identify, hey, these are some of the resources that the district has, uh, and that's something that we've done too. Is a lot of research on 
on the resources currently available at, at the district level and outside agencies to help link students to these services. Gotcha. Uh, the main goal, though, is for school staff to be able to uh, give that information to families, to students, since they're going to be the ones interact, since they are the ones interacting with them um, daily, sure. uh, more so than us, which leads us into tier one, um, which would, is our main focus is immediate crisis intervention. So Immediate crisis intervention can look like uh, a student who is emotionally or behaviorally dysregulated, is having a hard time managing emotions, is having a hard time um, grounding themselves, regulating themselves. School staff has exhausted all means and they need further support. That's when Yesenia and I come in to provide that service and, and really help and collaborate with school staff in identifying the best approach before entering into the crisis situation. And um, so that's that's really our main focus. And I think that's where this whole idea came about from the district side. And, and I believe too, from, from our agency, the guidance center was let's replace safety officers with mental health professionals in responding to these situations that that would benefit from somebody who is knowledgeable in de-escalation interventions and crisis interventions in um, approaching a situation from a trauma-informed lens. And uh, so that's the main goal. Right, right. Yeah. Really putting the right resource to the crisis. You know, it, I mean, I think it's really interesting and I, I really appreciate the points of, or, or the purpose of this, that it's, it's bringing the right resource to what is a mental health or an emotional dysregulation issue. And, and mental health is the right resource in those circumstances. Um, but it makes me think too, though, you know, police departments, they're under so much scrutiny right now, nationally, internationally. And when we were first pitching this idea um, that came out of our task force, we were first pitch, pitch, pitching it to the district and the um, school safety department. And from a leadership perspective, I was really impressed with how eager the school safety chief was to embrace this program. He was all in right from the start. And I, I really thought kudos to him and to the district. But, you know, it's not necessarily the same thing as being in the field. So I'm curious what sort of response have you received from officers of the school safety department in response to your new role? Has there been buy-in? Has there been pushback? What have the, what's, what's the general response been? For me going into it, you know, and before Yesenia uh, started, I was a little intimidated going into, to this department, uh, you know, with, with, with law enforcement and uh, really trying to figure out like, how am I gonna approach this situation, right? Because of the, the scrutiny and the, it, with everything that's been going on, uh, I, I, I wanted to be, be very mindful of my approach. And, you know, 
I think the first thing that I thought was, well, I'm coming into their environment, right? Because our our office is based out of school safety. We're all they they do their briefings there. Uh, that's their um, that's their main office. So I'm coming into their environment. So I I was mindful of, of saying, well, let me incorporate into their culture, identify you know, what their day-to-day looks like, uh, really try to build rapport and connections with them uh, because essentially like my main goal is collaboration, right? Uh, Collaborating with school safety officers. And I think in doing that, that that's that's how we're gonna be able to shift this perspective, this, the system, right? And from the beginning, you know, I was, I was welcomed and a lot of school safety officers, even before we did the needs assessment, uh, they, they did have a lot of questions about, well, what, what does your role entail? And once they learned what it entailed, they were grateful to, to have us there and, and they, they've really welcomed us. And it's, it's been a learning experience too, because we were having to use the walkie talkies mm-hmm. and, and learning their language, their codes, uh, has been, has been very interesting. And, you know, once Yesenia came on board, I was, I was so delighted because I, I was able to, to just share my nervousness with her, with learning this whole new language of codes and, what does this mean? Or how do we check into a school? How do we check out? And Yesenia was so, <laughs> excuse me, she was, she was so clever to, to, to write notes and she had it on her phone. So when we did go on a call, she, she would just pull that out. And so that was really helpful. Um, but overall, the message uh, that we've received is welcome. Like we need you here. I mean, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that I am dorky enough that when I heard you guys got to carry walkie-talkies and speak in police code, I was like, oh, my gosh, I want that job. <laughs> I, I will just own that right up front. Um, but I, I'm curious, you said, yeah, does that sort of mirror what your experience has been like as well? Yeah, 100%. You know, I think the same way as Jackie when I spoke to um, – Monica, which I did my interview with, it was like, you know, just, you know, you're going to be in a place with, you know, uniformed, um, you know, safety officers, it's going to be a different environment. And, you know, we have, I've always worked in a very female dominated spaces in the past. So it was a very quick, drastic change. Um, But yeah, the codes, you know, I took a picture, I have a picture on my phone of the codes, because you just never know when we're going to need them. And I have my notes written out because it's just it takes practice. And it just makes our life easier because I think one of the biggest fears that I know I had was messing up a code or saying something wrong or, you know, if they didn't hear us sure, correctly. And it triggers but... a whole different response than what you needed, <laughs> yeah. right? Because you said the wrong code yeah. word. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, they've been so welcoming. They're so nice. Um, you know, we've had some of the safety officers come at the end of the day and consult with us and just say, hey, you know, we had the situation what do you think? How would, did we handle it correctly? Just kind of looking for that. Like, did we do it correctly? What can we do differently next time? If there's anything to do differently. Kudos to them. And I think that's really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been great. And I think just 
um, yesterday, one of the sergeants pulled me over on my way out and he's like, oh, you know, you guys are doing such a great job with the codes, picking them up so quickly. So I told Jack, I was like, yes, we're doing a good job because I was mortified of like, you know, it's a walk-in that goes through all these sure. like channels and <laughs> I don't want to mess course. up. I hadn't thought about the gender issue either. That is a very different world. And, you know, mental health is roughly 85% female. And I imagine yeah. the police department's probably the mere opposite, I would mm -hmm. guess, um, yeah. roughly. So that alone is a bit of a culture shift, isn't it? A hundred percent. Oh, but sorry. Go a, ahead. It's just been a great one. It's been a learning one and, you know, adapting and just getting our, my feet wet into something different that I never thought I would be doing. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad it's been a good experience. And it's been fun, too, because, to, Yesenia, you were on that task force from the very beginning. So to yeah. see an idea that um, grew its seed there and now you're actually in there doing it is pretty exciting. Um, I'm yeah. curious, of, how about the schools, the schools themselves? They have their own crisis teams. Um, so, but I'm, so I'm curious, I know you've reached out to the schools as well as you've educated them about this new program. What sort of responses have you gotten from the schools? Um, overall, they've been good. A lot of the schools just really wanted to have a better understanding of what our role would be doing. When can they call us? right? What, what entails a call to us? Um, and when we did the needs assessment, you know, there was some schools that were like, oh, I could think of a kiddo already for you. Like, we'll definitely be calling you. And then some, you know, were great. We, we know we have that resource. You, we know you're available if, if we ever need you. But it's been a good response. And I think for me personally, seeing the schools and even gathering the needs assessment was hard because either they were short staff because of COVID or they were just short staff in general. So taking up 15, 20 minutes was just too long. And I think really seeing that live on the phone and listening to that. And then when we go to the schools and we see how the schools, you know, are functioning, you know, they are overworked and, you know, it's, it's nice. Hopefully the goal is that they'll know we're there if, if it gets to a crisis where they've exhausted all resources and they're like, okay, we need to call them in. Um, because, you know, there there are some some kids that are, you know, those daily kiddos maybe that are just constantly going to have a sure. hard time. And so it takes away from the, the classroom. It takes away from the teacher. Maybe the teacher is going to have to sit with this kiddo all day. So, you know, really going in there, de-escalating the situation and then having the kid walk back to class and then, you know, go back into, you know, the day-to-day. -day. But so far, the response has been great to answer that That's question. That's wonderful. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Jackie, yeah. similar experience? Yeah, similar experience. We we felt that it was important to, to attend uh, uh, counselor meetings and principal meetings, and we've done some presentations uh, just to provide further information regarding the role and uh, the specifics of our role, how to contact us, uh, what would what we would be responding to, what we wouldn't be responding to, what we're responsible for versus what they're responsible for. Mm -hmm. So uh, like I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this whole process, we wanted to be mindful of supporting staff while also not burning us out. Sure. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, the focus is uh, schools K through eight. So it's about 60-ish schools. 
and two of us. So we really wanted to be mindful of, you know, acknowledging it's a lot of schools. Schools need support and it's also not realistic to, to say, hey, they're going to take care of every single crisis. Um, these are the specific crises that they will respond to. And this is the paperwork that the school will continue to uh, complete. So, and, you know, most of the schools, if not all, they've been really supportive and, and grateful and excited about this initiative. And, you know, question since it is a change it is a shift in the way uh these situations are being uh, responded to a lot of questions have come up or you know to this need of well you could stay at my school all day if you'd like to you know <laughs> and it's like well I'm sure all the other 60 schools <laughs> they might not approve of that right yeah. yeah have you have you been partnered with uh resource specialists not, not yet. Okay. Okay. So you're, you're going in on your own or you go in together? So you're each other's Currently partner right now still. Exactly. We're, we're each other's partner. I th we've had a conversation of eventually, and I think that's going to come up in the following weeks, but splitting up the, the district uh, along the 405 and one of us is going to take the North side and the other, the South side. Uh, and so that that's the conversation now and and as we've ex, we've explained to the schools too you know this is an on like it's a we're developing continuously so there might be times where we say hey like i know we we shared this information but we felt that we need to change it and we're going to make adjustments as we go because it's it's completely a new initiative. Sure. You have and to I, be I'm, nimble with it, don't you, exactly. when it's new? Yeah. yeah. And I, you know, at the, at the beginning of when we started, I, I was doing research to see what other districts might be doing across the country. And there really wasn't a lot of research or information or even, hey, this school is doing this. Like it was a handful of, of schools across the district that were or adopting this this practice, this idea. Are you able to, obviously, without revealing ident any identifying information, can you share any stories of any calls you've been on? Yeah, I think the first one that came to my mind, and I talked to Jackie about this, was, you know, we've had a specific um, student that we've gotten called on twice um, for the same thing, and it was very interesting. Um, by the time we get there, the student is de-escalated. They have identified what's helping the student, you know, calm down. But it was interesting for us yesterday when we showed up. Um, the student was, I think Jackie started, I stepped outside with the principal just to kind of check in and see, you know, what, what's going, what's been going on. And, you know, then when I come in, they're speaking Spanish. And so then came the culture piece of this kiddo just communicates better in Spanish and they're able to better express and process their emotions in Spanish. And I think um, the staff is bilingual, but I'm not sure exactly if 
the student is aware. I don't know exactly the dynamics of that. But when we got there and we started talking to the kiddo in Spanish, he was, they were able to express themselves. And it was a different connection that mm -hmm. we made with the student. Um, we were able to get the student calm. Um, then today again, you know, we got a call. We, we went. It was the same student. And we went back to Spanish, talked to the student, um, got them back to class, which was a good thing because yesterday that wasn't the case. Um, yesterday they, they went home and, you know, consulting um, and highlighting that piece to the admin and letting them know, I think Spanish, a Spanish speaking therapist or someone that Spanish speaking would be a good fit for this um, student because they are in between both mm -hmm. languages, but a little kid's brain when they're learning two languages, it, it's like a switch. Sure. And it's a hard switch sometimes. And, you know, when we were talking about kind of debriefing between ourselves, we were just saying how hard it is sometimes for us to read something. You know, I, I can't read a full book in Spanish, but I could express myself in Spanish very well. And in English, I could read a whole book. I'm very fluent in English. I feel comfortable in it. But I wouldn't be able to be as eloquent as I am in English as I would as in Spanish. Mm -hmm. right? Emotionally eloquent, and really, you mean? Yes. 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 So... That piece was really important, and I don't know, and and just being that awareness, that cultural awareness as well that we bought, where we thought like, oh, Spanish is their like primary language, and they feel comfortable speaking this language, and you know, I think that comforted the student a little bit, where they were able to, the best way they could express like, this is what got me upset today, or this is what you know, um, we were just building rapport with the student, and. and so that was one call. Yeah, and, and even with this, with this kiddo, it was identified that they had experienced some sort of trauma. And this was when the kiddo only spoke Spanish. So that processing, the emotion, it, it seemed like they were just able to really connect to those emotions in Spanish. The, his, his, whole, uh, his whole perspective changed uh, when we spoke in Spanish. And it was, one, it was very fascinating to see. And that, like Yesenia said, we were able to consult with staff and to identify what services he, he would be able to benefit from. And um, they, they took that in really well. And as of today, it, it sounded like they were linking uh, family to services. Oh, that's great. To multiple services. Yeah. So so that one that one was Well and how great that, you know, the best thing for these kids is if they're able to stay in school. So mm -hmm. how great that you were able to de escalate him enough that he could return to the classroom. And that may not have been the outcome if it hadn't been a clinician responding to the crisis. So mm -hmm. that that is a perfect example of the value of this kind of response. He was able to go mm -hmm. back to the classroom. Have yeah. you had any where yeah. you've had to write holds? We're, we're not placing any holds. Uh, it was determined that school staff would continue to contact MET or PMRT for that. I do believe that in the future, once we, we see um, further progress within this program, that that might be uh, 
a route that they might want us to go to mm-hmm. and do the training. Uh, but as of now, we're not doing gotcha. any. Okay. Um, I do have an example of the a situation in which PMRT was called. Okay. At the beginning, when we were developing the program, we decided I'm going to go on certain calls just to identify um, gaps or areas in which we might have questions or identify, okay, this might be a good situation in which we respond to. And a kiddo had eloped from school. They were like two miles out. And wow. PD, yeah, <laughs> they, yeah, they, they eloped traveled. During recess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and this wasn't the first time they had eloped. So he eloped during recess and, uh, how old was he, Jackie? Roughly? Uh, was he a little one? Eight, eight nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Long Beach PD found him eventually or the sheriff's department. I don't recall, um, but I, I, we responded to where he was two miles away and he was, uh, you know, on the sidewalk and there's two, three police cars. And, uh, Hmm. so the kiddo, he he didn't want to come back to school or neither, or didn't even want to go back home, actually home or school or a no. So he was very um, dysregulated. Um, When I got there, police was talking to him. And so my main goal was let's get him off the sidewalk. And he's been walking for two miles. He didn't have lunch. He didn't have water, anything. Um, And so the principal, he's really good, really good to and interacting with the students. And even then he didn't want to. So I, I asked everybody to give us some space. I did some interventions with him. I, I tried to build a rapport with him as quickly as possible. We talked about, um, I think superheroes Mm -hmm. and some of the games he was into. Um, we did some grounding exercises, um, I had to be really mindful of which ones to do so that he, he, he was really aware, like, okay, you're trying to trick me into just going mm-hmm. back to school. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I got him to come up and we did like this, um, grounding skill. And then I said, Hey, like, how about we go back, back to school? I bet you're thirsty. And, and then one of the, the sergeants, um, that I was writing with was like, are you hungry? Like, I'm, I'll, I'll go get you food. And then we gave him the option of, do you want to go with the principal or do you want to come with us? He decided to come. He's like, I want to go with her. Hmm. And so we rode in the back of the the school safety officer's uh, vehicle, went to McDonald's. We got him back to school, but he was still saying, you know, there was still suicidal ideation. Okay. And so I provided support to him while the principal was completing the suicide assessment. So that's how we're we're assisting with with suicide ideation. I see. So you're still there. You're still engaged in interventions with the children, but PMRT or MET is being called to then transport and facilitate the actual hospitalization. So you're exactly. still engaged in it. I get it. I get it. That mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad he was able to be safe then. 
Um, poor little one. I know. <laughs> Um, Two miles. I know. Really that's have. a long way to go to without getting <laughs> caught, too. To Pretty yeah, clever, well, kid. <laughs> we, we looked all over the school. Um, Mom was there looking. You know, we were all looking everywhere. But because a lot of the schools have these these gates, and they can't lock them because if there's a fire, sure. like they can't lock them from the inside. Because if there's an emergency and nobody's around with a key, like that's a fire hazard. That's what I learned at least from this experience. I was like, aren't they, when I was in elementary, all the, the, the doors were locked, you know, but that that's the, the protocol. Gotcha. And that makes sense from a safety yeah. perspective. But then mm-hmm. the, the flip side is that someone can get out and walk two miles, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, as you said, uh, there are 60 schools just doing K through eight, which is your priority. Um, that's a huge district. And I remember when we were first talking with the chief and with the district about this program, they told me, and I don't remember the numbers, but the number of crisis calls they get typically in the course of a year, and it was a high number, but I still don't imagine that's what you do all day long. So could you sort of describe a typical day um, on campus? Like, what do you do between calls that might help create a positive campus culture? Yeah, so I think it just varies because we are starting. Um, you know, for example, yesterday we were on calls back to back. Oh, wow. From, Busy day. You know, we had to, yeah, we had to leave the staff meeting actually early because we got a call right in the middle of the staff meeting. And then as we were finishing up that one, we got another one wow. and then we got another one. So we were definitely busy. And, you know, for example, today we just got one and then we kind of focus on creating the trainings for the safety officers um, based on the assessment that we um, completed with them. We're working on, you know, also identifying trainings for Jackie and I you know, that would make us better, right, at this position, like crisis um, trainings that would be beneficial for us to participate in. And the goal, and, you know, last Friday we were out in about five schools. Just We just showed up, introduced ourselves, walked around a little bit, and then we left. And, you know, then we were going just through different schools, introducing ourselves and, again, putting a face to the name or to the email that they've been receiving over the last, you know, two weeks. Um, but it varies. Um, that's for sure. It's never the same. <laughs> that's kind of exciting, though. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Although you must have been tired yesterday, I imagine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a well, lot of outreach. Yeah, definitely a lot of outreach. We did like this little commercial um, yeah. sharing about our position, which which was really interesting. And um We've done the presentations and, you know, Yesenia and I too, we've, I, I personally didn't know Yesenia. We were from outpatient, but because of the pandemic, we had never really interacted. And so it was nice to, to, you know, also build rapport with one another sure, and um, create that connection since we're going to be working and identifying like, hey, I was just super happy when she came on board and I was like, I'm not alone. I can talk to someone about what's going on, like bounce off ideas, yes. um, which I was doing with Monica, but 
you know, she, yes, and yeah, we're going to be doing the day to day together. Sure. So, and Monica being uh, the program manager who oversees yes, this. Yes. yes. Thank you. Yes. So uh, I think just bouncing off ideas, you know, what we want to do in the future with this, with this program, what we're excited about, developing the training, all of that. That's yeah. really. And I think reflect. Go ahead. No, sorry, I'm Jackie. just going to say that's really what we've been focusing on. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, do you anticipate that there might be calls where you really feel like you do need a police presence? Has there been planning for that? Yeah. So that was definitely a conversation that we discussed as soon as I think the position and prior to it kind of being, you know, um, inform prior to informing all of the Long Beach Unified, um, admin that was a conversation that was had and you know it was agreed that we will determine um whether a situation or in a crisis call whether we do need to have a safety officer come with us the goal is to be in route be on our way and let seeing getting a little bit of the gist of what was the call was it a kiddo that was dysregulated or a kiddo that you know maybe was had a, a scissor and was trying to hurt somebody. Sure. So I think in situations it would be just based on the day to day, but there, the officers even where like, we prioritize your safety, our safety. So if you ever encounter a call where you walk in and you're like, Oh, maybe this is not something that, you know, I, I feel comfortable or safe doing by myself. They, they're on route to assist us if needed. I'm glad to hear that because obviously yeah. you're, safety uh matters to me as well so I'm glad to hear that there's that backup certainly yeah um you know at one point in the initial planning before you two were hired for the positions when we were first all sort of talking it through um the police chief had said um that there was some hope that of you assisting and helping with risk assessments. For example, if there's students that they feel were at risk of engaging in on-campus violence, perhaps shootings or whatever else, the things that are you know our greatest fear when we think about school safety. Um, yeah. Is that an element of what you expect to be doing? Has that been talked about? I, I don't think like we would be at the forefront. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there have been, you know, cause we could hear the radio, there have been threats that we've heard and a lot of them are unfounded. I see. Uh, there was one, one instance where I responded to an elementary and, uh, you know, the kiddo had threatened to, to kill another student and they had expressed, I have the means and I'm going to do it. So I responded to that call. Um, the kiddo I think was in third, fourth grade. Wow. And so I did help the principal with the threat assessment. And, you know, I, I did ask the principal to step out during some of the questions, um, just to really, I wanted to build a rapport with the, with, with the kiddo and really identify, was this something that was said because you're upset or is this something that is credible? Right. And sure. That, is there real intent? Exactly. There? So, you know, after, uh, 
processing the the whole situation uh, you know I was determined like I don't have access to it I'm not gonna do it I was really upset because you know I think it was over he, they had lost and they were like I'm just really mad you know and I said this so then uh you know we communicated that to the principal they completed the threat assessment and it, you know it was unfounded so I think in situations like that where we just need to identify and then I did consult with the principal like are they receiving services you know um I would I I would encourage you to speak to their service provider mm -hmm. to identify what they're working on and coping skills that that are helpful in their in their uh, treatment sure, and distress so tolerance can, for example exactly. because you're going to lose sometimes exactly <laughs> so so that was a, a an example of one that that we responded to um but i don't think any of the more credible ones gotcha. we would be responding gotcha. to especially if there's a, a real risk still i mean what important work that is um mm -hmm. and that could have played out really differently if there hadn't been someone there to do a true mental health assessment exactly. um if it if it's approached solely from a law enforcement perspective there can be different outcomes because we have different skill sets right so mm -hmm. i'm glad that you were there um, have you guys thought at all, you know, this is a pilot program and our hope is we're in multiple school districts, of course, as an agency. And our hope would be that this could be a model then that we could expand to other districts. We could write about it, that it be adopted, um, because I do think it's such a healthy approach. Uh, has, has there been talk about what outcomes, uh, the program hopes to achieve to show, like, how do we show that it works? Besides anecdotal so, stories. <laughs> so we are collecting data. Okay. Uh, we're collecting data on the types of calls we're responding to, what the outcome was, uh, to, to then for the, further assess whether or not the interventions are working, whether or not um, it's been a positive response from schools, um, whether or not schools feel supported, you know, things like that. Uh, I, I think the, the hope and from what I gather just from speaking to um, district staff that we've consulted with and with chief and with the uh, site supervisor is that they, they and ourselves hope that this continues to expand mm -hmm. um, apart from just myself and Yesenia to include uh, more bodies to, to go out and respond um, and hoping to, to, to eventually include high schools. Excellent. And Mm -hmm. Excellent. That would be great. Um, and the last two questions I'd really like to hear from both of you, because um, I, I really think it, it took guts to take on this role. I think it takes guts to join a brand new program like this, but not any brand new program takes guts. But this one is so different than um, what had been your, your job in an outpatient clinic. You're in a different culture. It's a very different environment. It's very crisis oriented. So I'm curious, what, why did it appeal to you? I think for me, I, you know, 
Trisha and I were in the ex- are in the external task force. So I think you know that motivation and that just inspiration, right, to really reframe these um, responses to crisis with our st- our kiddos, right? Our kiddos are the future generation, and how we respond to them and how we treat them really is going to frame how they you know do the same to others. And so I think that was a big piece that appealed to me. Just you know. Do we need to have a safety officer responding when a kiddo, you know, for example, our kiddo today, he was, he, he was upset. He's triggered. Right. And so I think really, um, changing, shifting that practice, right. And creating a collaboration out of it, you know, because there are things that, you know, the safety officers know how to do that. We don't know how to do course, and vice versa. So really creating that collaboration and, and, you know, just creating a safe, safe and hopeful place for our kiddos, you know, letting them be kids. We we need to allow our kids to be kids. And, um, you know, with COVID, that just shifted everything. You know, we have higher numbers in mental health, right? Higher numbers in depression, anxiety, grief. And so really also recognizing that pre-pan like pre-pandemic is no longer an option Mm -hmm. right we're post-pandemic and so and not post we're still in you know in the pandemic but you know how do we deal with kids coming back to school after being um you know yeah just web telehealth for a year and a half right you know these kids that went from fifth grade to sixth grade (laughs) that's a whole middle school is a whole another whole um, nother ball game isn't it exactly so i think really recognizing that you know just the same way that us as adults and as a collective whole felt this pandemic these little kids did too and really recognizing that we need to meet them where they're at and they might not be where we thought they would be Mm -hmm. and i'm doing quotation marks right where we thought they should be or where they should be because that's just not feasible it's not doable because as a whole we're going through a pandemic and kids lives from one week to the other they were on zoom you know little kids now know how to use a tablet better than i do sometimes and know the tricks to the ipad so i think really recognizing that you know we need to um you know serve the community and Again, like think my my always my my thought is just like we need to allow our kids to be kids yeah. and we need as adults we need to be able to create that space for them. If we find the opportunity to do that, we need to jump on that. And that's very social worky of me, it but is. that's just always been my <laughs> it's just a thought. You know, I I have a little sibling myself and I I will do anything to make sure that they're they're safe, they're functioning, they have the support and have problem solving skills, stress tolerance, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and really providing that space. So I think it's just, it, I mean, that's like the main thing that, you know, it's been from the beginning of the talks of this position that I've been wanting to jump right into it. I love that, Yesenia. How about you, Jackie? Yeah. For me, uh, well, like I said, when I first saw the position, I was like, whoa, hmm. it sounds intense. <laughs> And, um, you know, after talking to Monica, and I think you brought it up in one of our staff meetings, like, this is what it looks like, actually. And, you know, it just kind of, it it just, I felt like it was calling my name. And I've always considered myself to be an advocate. And I decided, you know, let me um, put action to my words and to 
just to, to, to what I believe in, Mm -hmm. you know? And so one of the, the biggest things for me was like helping decriminalize our students for situations that oftentimes are out of their control, you know? And, and then too, like approaching it from, I want to understand the perspective of safety officers, of law enforcement, um, to really understand both worlds and not judge one or the other, you know? And like Yesenia said, really collaborate in, um, in, in one goal, in one go towards one direction, um, which that one direction will help these students have multiple options, sure. multiple directions, right, yeah. in their future journeys. And, you know, and I, I was excited, too, because I also really enjoyed program development. And I knew this is something that we can bring up and we can really as mental health professionals be the voice for many of these families you know I I grew up in a in a predominantly um, Latinx community and oftentimes like a lot of families didn't know about resources or services and and or like, you know, some of my classmates would, would, would get suspended or so I remember seeing some of my classmates, you know, really struggling and, but instead they were being suspended. Um, they were, you know, outed as the bad kid. And, you know, with all these calls that we've responded to when, when we get there, I feel like, like, I, like, I, I, I see them for, for who they are, a kid. You see the vulnerability uh, behind yes, their the behavior. Their yeah. innocence. They're they're just struggling to really put words to their emotions, you know. And if we can help them put those words in, into their, those emotions into words, and then teach them too to advocate and advocate for for themselves and and help families too, because we, we have also engaged with parents mm-hmm. and, and help them identify services. Um, that was what appealed to me. And um, if we're going into, you know, the, the, what my hope is, is that we bring further light into mental health and that we continue to acknowledge that mental health is very important. And uh, I, I, we talked to one of the counselors and they run a, a male group. And he was like, can you imagine if we had this in all the schools or if this was a requirement, yeah. like a class in mental health is a requirement. Can you imagine what that would do? It'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Right? It would be amazing. <laughs> and, you know, based on the research that you, that you talked about, you know, that if that's helping reduce crime, then my hope is let's focus on mental health. Let, let's give it what it deserves and let's give our kiddos a fighting chance for a brighter future. 
I love that. Thank you. You kind of answered my second question, my last question already too, Jackie. So I'm just going to kick that one back to Yesenia (laughs) then. You know, I always end every one of these podcasts. I end on a note of hope um, because that's that's who we are at the Guidance Center. Um, So what gives you hope as you engage in this new role? Yeah, I think, you know, just literally what Jackie said, like giving our kids a, a chance you know, we we serve, um, you know, minority communities, you know, poverty and, you know, poverty is it shouldn't be a crime. But so many parents and so many kiddos are criminalized for, you know, maybe not having burning water or not wearing the same sweater for like a couple of days. And that's not that's out of their control. And so I think it's, you know, the reason for this and like. The hope is giving our kids, our families, awareness, information, all the tools that they need to be successful, you know, um, in every single element Mm -hmm. that they can be in. And I think that's just the key to it, right? It's the hope that, you know, we'll have, like yesterday, we had a conversation with the kiddo that was doing something else, but his goal was was to be a basketball player. Mm -hmm. He wants to be in the NBA. And there should be nothing besides yourself that gets in the way of that. You should have access to basketball courts. You should be able to go to school, um, you know, and be able to thrive in these elements in order to get to this goal that you really want to be a basketball player. Um, and I, our kids dream big. Yeah. And I don't think that life's circumstances, and it's, it sucks, but it's the truth. Unfortunately, sometimes life circumstances really limits what they can do. But if our position in this role can really reframe early intervention or prevent something from going to a different, you know, situation, then that's the goal. Like that, if we do that, then we did. Right. Then you're successful. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I just thank you both so much for having this conversation with us. I found it fascinating, but even more importantly, I just want to thank you for stepping up to take on this role. Um, I, I think it sounds amazing. I would love to do it, but it really is groundbreaking. And I just, credit you for having the courage to take it on and I I really am impressed and grateful to both of you for it so thank you thank you you so much for having us it's my position that by shining a light on these issues admitting that they are in our own backyards it will be easier for a struggling child to get some help Ideally, we can all begin to be kinder and more supportive of each other. In My Backyard is brought to you by the Guidance Center, a children's mental health agency in Long Beach, California. In My Backyard is produced by Trisha Costales and Matthew Murray. Thank you to J. Vincent B. for original music. All other music licensed through Soundstripe. Thank you to our listeners and supporters. Please visit tgclb.org or text HOPE to 562-262-5689 to make a one-time donation or join our Hope and Healing Club to become a monthly donor today. Subscribe to In My Backyard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.